Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Live from the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, broadcasting from the Dollar Car Rental Studios, it's the Dave Ramsey Show, where debt is dumb, cash is king, and the paid-off home mortgage has taken the place of the BMW as the status symbol of choice. And today is episode 48, in which I'm going to talk about a Dave Ramsey detox with a criticism of his total money makeover. You've probably heard of financial self-help guru Dave Ramsey and his get-out-of-debt program called Financial Peace University. Pretty good chance if you're a Christian and you go to a moderately decent-sized church, your church is probably offering his program. If you're not familiar with Financial Peace University, you've definitely heard of his radio and podcast, as well as his hit financial book, The Total Money Makeover, which is a straightforward seven-step program that helps individuals take seven baby steps towards getting out of debt and obtaining financial freedom. It's a program that has proven to work for many different people over the years and has helped countless individuals including individuals like myself, make their lives better from a financial standpoint. Um, You know, I have a lot of praise for Dave Ramsey. I think he says a lot of really good things. And overall, I would give uh, his total money makeover, self-help guru philosophy, uh, probably a B plus if I were going to give it a grade. Um, However, for as much as I would have to say, uh, to you know, give praise for Dave Ramsey's program, I think there is some room for some critique. Um, I don't find the philosophy or the advice that Dave Ramsey gives to be perfect. And I don't claim to have a bulletproof uh, critique that may not be without its own uh, flaws either. Um, but, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Dave Ramsey isn't perfect. Uh, so, you know, wanting to kind of have something to offer people so that we can work towards, uh, you know, a better, uh, stewardship of all the things that God has provided us. Um, I thought I'd put together today's podcast in order to do such. And, you know, some of you may get a little on the defensive, um, you know, by me offering some sort of criticism and critique of Dave Ramsey and his program. Well, who are you, Jimmy? And blah, blah, blah. You know, well, if you're some sort of, you know, if that's your style, (laughs) you're going to launch into some sort of tirade against me and say, who the heck are you um, to offer these criticisms? Are you a billionaire yet like Dave Ramsey? And, you know, all the sort of kind of rhetoric that Dave Ramsey uh, brainwashes his followers into uh, repeating on his behalf so he can sell you more of his product. (laughs) You know, if you're one of those Kool-Aid drinkers, well, you should probably just turn off the show now because uh, you're not really interested in truth. You're not really interested in having an open mind and nothing I'm going to say is going to change your mind. So just do yourself a favor and turn it off. Um, but for the rest of you <laughs> who have an open mind, who would like, you know, to to hear a reasonable consideration of, uh, you know, what I have to say. Um, and I think what I have to say is reasonable, not only the 
uh, my perspective is one that comes from, um, you know, being an individual who's gone through Dave Ramsey's stuff and has followed Dave Ramsey for years and read his book and signed up for stuff on his website and ordered audio CDs and, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, you know, I've been something of a Kool-Aid drinker myself when it comes to Dave. However, I think there are some flaws to his program. Um, and I would like to offer my perspective on that. Um, you know, maybe these things uh, can be taken with a grain of salt. And maybe Dave Ramsey will even consider them. Uh, and if you want to know, well, you know, what, what sort of background you have to criticize Dave Ramsey? Well, you know, um, I have my own background. <laughs> I'm not just somebody living in a basement with their mom. Uh, you know, I'm successful in my own right. Uh, you know, my household income is over six figures. Uh, I'm probably the, the target demographic for Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to that, I'm in my mid-30s. I am, I, unlike Dave Ramsey, I am an actual financial professional. Uh, no, I'm not some sort of certified financial planner or anything like that, but I have been working at a bank in the, the mortgage underwriting world for the past 10 years. So I've had to, you know, I've had to analyze a lot of credit reports and financial statements and paychecks. I've probably analyzed more paychecks and tax returns and uh, credit reports than Dave Ramsey ever has. So, you know... Financially, that's my, I guess, authority uh, in that regard. Um, I, I know a thing or two about money, um, being that I deal with it every day for the past, you know, 10 years of my professional life. Um, and just with that caveat, uh, I am a big bad banker, and my opinions on this program are my own and not that of my employer. And uh, maybe I should just toss this out there because Everybody seems to do it, but these opinions are for entertainment purposes. If you all have any questions, you know, go ahead and ask your own financial professional. Uh, you know, nothing I am telling you today is, uh, you know, done. <laughs> and whatever sort of uh, financial advisor sort of role. Uh, this is just my opinion, my personal opinion, and that of mine alone. And I think it to be a good one, not only as someone who, again, has uh, gone through Dave Ramsey's stuff and knows the material well, uh, but somebody who has been something of a financial professional for the past decade. Um, and as well, I have a Bible college and seminary background. So uh, my critique of Dave is not only concerning some financial stuff, but it is also concerning some theological stuff. Um, so I hope to offer the criticisms today on two-pronged approach, one from the theological perspective, which I will get into briefly here in a moment, and also um, just some financial considerations and some flaws I think I have seen with this program um, that I think, you know, may be of benefit to some people. So, with all that aside, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Let me offer you my critique of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover and uh, help you get off the Kool-Aid uh, and help you maybe go through a little Dave Ramsey detox, if you will. So the first point I would like to tackle is that Dave Ramsey's biblical principles, you know, when you really get down to it, aren't so biblical. Dave Ramsey claims a lot of his financial teachings are based on principles in the Bible. And, well, you know, there is some truth to this. But what Dave doesn't tell you is that some of his teachings are actually contrary to the Bible. He's kind of cherry-picked a couple verses here and there to kind of say some things about paying de debt back with gazelle intensity. 
Um, and that's all fine and good. But, you know, really, that's pretty much the uh, shallow sort of pool Dave is wading in theologically when it comes to a biblical perspective on wealth and finances. Unfortunately, many of us as American Christians have such a warped perspective of wealth. We've all kind of bought into this quasi-prosperity gospel sort of doctrine. Uh, even if we're not a name it and claim it, glab it grab it and blab it, uh, or blab it and grab it, is that how you say it? <laughs> uh, even if we're not one of those type of folks who are, you know, like Kenneth Copeland laying our hands on Mercedes and claiming them in the name of Jesus, um, you know, many of us still kind of have this sort of uh, warped perspective that, uh, you know, wealth is somehow a sign of God's blessing on our lives, um, and uh, that if if we're really right with God and we work really hard um, and, uh, you know, we pay our tithes and, and, and all that sort of stuff, that God's just going to bless us financially and, uh, well, you know, none of that's really biblical. <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, we, we, we we're so saturated in this prosperity gospel gobbledygook, as I like to call it, um, that even many well-meaning pastors don't even recognize um, the errors of Dave Ramsey's thinking, and uh, they're just as caught up in American consumerism and greed as the rest of our culture. Um, and as such, um, you know, it's no wonder that they have no problem uh, offering Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University uh, in their own churches without any reservation whatsoever. Um, and they have no theological... Um, standing in which to critique it because they think it's all good and that's because they've been drinking the, the Kool-Aid of our culture and its love of all things prosperity. To be blunt, Dave Ramsey makes no bones about it. Dave Ramsey wants you to be rich and his program is ultimately designed to help you become such. Dave wants you to live like nobody else so you can later live like nobody else. And while in part he means simply living a life free from the crushing burden of debt and keeping up with the Joneses and all the covetousness that goes with that, his teaching on these matters so doesn't simply stop at debt. Dave wants you to build a massive amount of wealth so that you can live the American dream, so you can give to your church, so you can pass on your wealth to future generations, and ultimately so you can, you know, come on his program, do the debt-free screen, tell everybody what a wonderful success you are, and sell his product uh, to the next person. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the perspective that Dave Ramsey has about wealth um, and the needing and desire to, to become wealthy, you know, frankly, just... It's just wrong, folks, and goes against the teachings of the scriptures, especially that of the New Testament. And don't get me wrong, there's certainly nothing wrong in and of itself with being rich. Um, as I talked about, though, in uh, prior podcast, episode number three, check it out, To Hell with the Rich. The New Testament, though, has a less favorable view of wealth and getting rich than many of us would probably care to admit. And, you know, in saying this, it kind of steps on my toes a little bit, because even though I wouldn't consider myself rich, I'm uh, definitely pretty comfortable, you know, borderline, upper-middle-class individual. Uh, and, relatively speaking, 
Uh, I may not be richer than a lot of my peers or the people I go to church with, um, but uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, and uh, I definitely um, am richer than probably 90% of the rest of the world. Um, so when, you know, the Bible provides warnings against the rich, you know, it's something I have to consider. Um, and it's something I have to, to, to be concerned about. Um, and it's something I definitely wrestle with. So, but anyway, let me go ahead and continue. So this idea, though, that many have that uh, Dave Ramsey and many, you know, even pastors would say uh, that wealth is merely some sort of neutral tool uh, to be used for either good or evil purposes, depending on um, what you want to use it for. You know, that sounds like a good idea. And, and, you know, maybe there is some biblical basis to it at the end of the day. But you won't find such a natural, carefree attitude about wealth and money anywhere in the scriptures. Um, in fact, Jesus said in Matthew 19:24 that it's easier for a camel to thread the eye of a needle than it is to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus also warned the rich that their wealth was a sign that they've possibly received their eternal comfort in full in the present life, and that in the ages to come, they need to be concerned about damnation. You can look that up in Luke 6.24, where he said, Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are rich. So, you know, it's not exactly a neutral, favorable, favorable view uh, that Jesus is giving to the rich. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor. Um, so, you know, very different spectrum Jesus is working on. And the apostles also taught us in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11, that, uh, you know, we are to flee from even the consideration of trying to become rich, and that such was a danger that could ultimately ruin us spiritually, and that the love of money was the root of all evil. So, in light of such things, I would like to heavily caution Christians from a theological perspective, and pastors, about ever using Dave Ramsey material in the churches. His teachings are actually, in the spirit of his teachings especially, are at times contrary to sound biblical teaching. So if you were to use Dave Ramsey's material to help get people out of debt, which is, you know, about all I would ever recommend Dave Ramsey's material for, that's perfectly fine. However, I would immediately put everyone who takes his Financial Peace University class at church uh, to enroll in a Dave Ramsey detox class afterwards. So your church might have to put that together. I don't know how the folks at uh, Dave Ramsey are going to feel about you making a class against them <laughs> uh, in your church. They may not allow that uh, class to be hosted anymore. Um, or Financial Peace University, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, if your church isn't going to do that, uh, you know, point people to this podcast, share this with them. Um so, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of danger, though, in Dave Ramsey's teachings, uh, and that you should only use them strictly for teaching people to pay off their debts, because, frankly, he encourages a spirit that ultimately fosters a love for wealth. Um, and even though he would probably impartially agree with some of the things I've said uh, just now, he'd probably also strongly disagree with some things. Um, but, you know... I think, uh, you know, 
If he did that, he's just because he's drinking the Kool-Aid of Americans' prosperity gospel culture um, that sees Jesus and money as going hand in hand and that there is no danger and no possible conflicts of interest going on there whatsoever. When in truth, the Bible has, again, as I say, much to warn us about the dangers of wealth or pursuing wealth. It is one thing to simply work hard and do well and carve out a nice, comfortable uh, financial life for you and your family, um, to pay off your debts, uh, to live a life of dignity, um, to be self-supporting, self-sufficient, and able to help others. It's one thing to do that. But if you're going through this program so that you can pay off your debts and be rich, and go on, you know, materialistic orgies. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you need to learn a thing or two actually about what Jesus teaches. So I'm just going to put that out there for all of you who are listening. My second critique of Dave Ramsey, I'm going to move here from the theological to the actual points of his program. My second critique was you actually need a good credit score. I know, Dave Ramsey laughs at the idea of having a credit score. <laughs> credit scores are for people who borrow money. And he has other some other cute little sayings uh, about that. And since you're not going to borrow money, you don't need a credit score. Well, let me just say this frankly. This is where Dave is just being dumb. And yes, I'll say this again. This is just where Dave is being dumb. See how two can play at this game, Dave. <laughs> Dave Ramsey might not ever have to worry about having a good credit score. And he's made more money than he'll ever know what to do with. So, you know, he doesn't need to borrow any ever at any time for any reason whatsoever. But, you know, I'm going to encourage you. You sure as heck better have a good credit score. Um, as you aren't likely to get rich. Um, from whatever it is you do for a living, and you know you don't have the advantage of getting rich by telling others how to get rich like Dave did. So there's that. The truth is, not having a credit score or having a bad credit score is something that will negatively impact you one way or the other. Yes, banks and financial institutions can always do, quote-unquote, manual underwriting, if you have zero score. <laughs> but such manual underwriting often comes in exchange for higher expenses that are passed on to you by the financial institution in order to pay a team of underwriters for having to manually calculate your financial history and determine your worthiness for the financial products that they're offering you. And they don't simply do this for free, folks. That's how they afford people like me, underwriters who work at a bank. <laughs> and let me just put this out there. If your score is below 620, you will not qualify for a conventional loan product. So you can kiss Fannie and Freddie goodbye. So regardless of the type of underwriting that is done when it comes to getting a mortgage, including those done by Dave's sponsor, Churchill Mortgage. And let me just put this out there. There's nothing special about Churchill Mortgage, folks. I know Dave may plug them a lot, but they're also a sponsor, so... There's nothing special about them. They do the same thing that the big bad bank that I work for uh, does, except they just claim to try to do things in a more Dave Ramsey type fashion. So they don't offer HELOCs and they try to encourage you to have a 15-year mortgage instead of uh, a 30. But I digress. Um, so in case you weren't aware, though, banks and financial institutions 
judge people based off whether or not they fit neatly into a box. And that box, part of that box, is put together and assembled by the credit score that you have. Because credit scores help them determine ultimately what type of box you fit in. And if you lack a credit score or have a bad one, you will require more effort on their part to figure you out. And you also present to them more of a lending risk and a financial risk. And since more effort and more risk is going into the equation when it comes to determining what sort of financial product they're going to offer you, whether it's a mortgage or insurance or whatever else you may get, um, at the end of the day, that's going to mean they're going to have to charge you more expenses and more fees. Fees that they will ultimately pass on to you in one way or another. So if you ever plan on carrying a mortgage, which I think most of you probably want to do if you're not already, or if you want to carry insurance or any other financial products whatsoever, <laughs> do the smart thing and not the dumb thing and simply establish a good credit score. And frankly, folks, such isn't very hard to do. You don't have to go into hock and spend all sorts of crazy money in order to get a fi good financial score. It's really not hard. Just establish two lines of credit. If you establish a mortgage and an auto loan, <laughs> you're going to be sad if you make those payments on time uh, and pay them off early. You know, Have a couple lines of credit, pay off your debts, and you'll have a good credit score. And, you know, since it's not very hard to maintain a good credit score, I have a very good credit score in spite of some financial woes that I had back in my uh, mid-20s that turned me to Dave Ramsey. Like my, my credit score right now, last I checked, is in the mid-700s. Pretty good. Um, you know, not having a financial score that's good on credit uh, will ultimately result not only in more troubles, and what you have to do more manual processes and underwritings that could, you know, result in higher fees and expenses and possible delays, especially if you're trying to close on a mortgage on time. Um, and somebody's having to sit there and calculate all your financials manually. And they keep asking you for more and more docs in order to verify your financial uh, worthiness. <laughs> you know, and possibly great delays at closing, which, you know, could jeopardize your closing if you're purchasing some real estate. Um, you know. The troubles of trying to do things without a credit score are ultimately greater than not having a good credit score. Uh, the benefits of having good credit far outweigh the troubles of uh, not trying to have a credit score. So what Dave Ramsey says on this particular issue of not having a credit score, well, it's just misleading. You know, not ha I will say, not having a credit score is better than having a poor one. But if you have a poor one, you sure as heck better do whatever you can to repair it. Because if you have a credit score in like the 500s or something like that, you're going to be, you're just going to have a hard time, folks. <laughs> you're not going to get the best deals and people are going to tack on fees left and right for you for years to come. So do the responsible thing. Be an adult. It's okay. I know Dave Ramsey may not treat you like an adult, um, but I'm going to treat you like an adult. So get a good credit score, folks. It's not very hard um, to do. So there. <laughs> and remember, I say all this as someone who has been a mortgage underwriter at a big, bad bank for a long time. So take my advice here over Dave Ramsey's. 
Yes, this is just my personal opinion. Um, but I'm convinced that uh, Dave Ramsey here either simply does not know what he's talking about, or he's being willfully ignorant, or he's possibly being deliberately deceitful. But knowing how much Dave knows about financial stuff, I would be surprised if anything that I told you was something that he doesn't actually know already. So consider that. Uh, I, I personally believe there's a little uh, disingenuousness uh, going on with Dave Ramsey on this topic because he's kind of interested in selling you his stuff and his product and his program uh, more than he is anything else. So my next point, point number three, I want to critique baby step number one. $1,000 emergency fund. As part of Dave Ramsey's program and getting out of debt, Dave encourages you to first establish a $1,000 emergency fund. Dave Ramsey says you need this $1,000 emergency fund um, and cash available so that you can create a cushion between you and Murphy's Law. If you don't know what Murphy's Law is, Murphy's Law means whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Uh, so Dave Ramsey wants you to have cash on hand um, just in case an emergency pops up so that you don't have to stop your uh, debt down payment program um, and uh, that you'll have cash to pay for any emergencies and you won't be tempted to charge more money on your credit card and then never escape the hamster wheel of having an emergency than always funding it with a credit card. Um, and he believes a $1,000 emergency fund in cash um, that you keep on hand in your checking account uh, will ultimately keep you from having to jump back on the hamster wheel of, uh, you know, issuing new credit card debt. And, you know, this makes sense. It absolutely does. Totally does. And I agree with 99% of what I just said. The only problem is that Dave Ramsey's been giving this advice since the 1990s when $1,000 used to be worth a lot more than it is today in 2020. And uh, since 1990s, we've had a thing called inflation. Inflation means $1,000 ain't what it used to be, folks. And at a 2 to 3% estimated annual rate of inflation since the 1990s, according to some inflation calculator I use that you can see in the show notes at jimmystable.com, $1,000 in 1990 would be $1,980.57 in today's dollars. Which means... If I were to take $1,000 and go back to 1990, the same stuff that I could buy for $1,000 today would only require $489.10 to purchase back in 1990. 1990, $1,000 had a lot more purchasing power and went a lot further than it does today. Today, $1,000 just doesn't buy what it used to back in 1990. But for some reason, you know, even though this is the case, Dave Ramsey, so far as I've been able to tell, and I've actually looked into the issue to see if he's been able to, if he's ever changed this number, and so far as I've looked, and I've tried to look even in old editions of his book, but going back as far as Dave Ramsey goes, Dave Ramsey has been saying you should have a $1,000 cash cushion as long as I can remember, um, and you know I believe this is a figure that needs to be revised in baby step one. And it needs to be revised to today's dollars, which would be roughly $2,000. So I don't know why Dave hasn't, you know, decided to account for inflation since he established his program. Um, 
And I believe that while $1,000 is a good start to have on hand um, to act as something of a financial buffer um, to keep people from having to use their credit card to uh, take care of an emergency, I believe $1,000 today on hand is simply going to be inadequate for most people attempting to pay down their debts. Um, so I would highly suggest um, if you're going to start off with a financial buffer in order to you know, fight against Murphy's Law, I believe instead of the $1,000 that Dave recommends, I personally believe you should keep that money at $2,000. Um, and, you know, to be honest, $2,000 in today's world probably isn't going to still cover it for a lot of people. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're ultimately going to have to do what works best for you. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. This is personal finance we're talking about. Your situation is going to be different depending on how much money you make on a monthly basis and depending on where you live in the country and depending on how much debt you have. Um, personal finance is personal. So do what works best for you when it comes to having uh, an emergency fund. Personally speaking, from my life experience, um, I would encourage you to try to, to have at least one month of living expenses on hand. So go look at your monthly budget if you've made a budget or your monthly expenses or just go check at your, your bank statement online at wherever you bank at. Um, but I'm guessing if you're a middle-class American, like probably most people on Financial Peace University and Total Money Makeover are, you're probably going to need at least three to $6,000 to cover your monthly expenses depending on who you are and uh, what your situation in life is. Um, you know, and so I, I would encourage you to save up if possible, if possible, at least somewhere in that figure um, as you work towards paying off your your debts. I know just for example, last year, my wife and I, we had a very expensive summer um, and we had a situation where uh, we had a bird go to town, a woodpecker went to town on our house <laughs> and uh you know, we had to put $1,000 into repairing some damaged siding uh, and some soffit damage that this bird did on our house. This woodpecker just went crazy. And then about the same time we were coughing up $1,000 to repair woody woodpecker uh, holes on the side of our house and in our soffit, uh, I had an auto repair problem and so did my wife. Uh, and so we easily added a couple thousand dollars in monthly expenses um, to what we were going through. Um, so, you know, that's tough. Life happens. Murphy strikes. Murphy's law strikes. So we need to be prepared for it, and we need to be prepared for it in the midst of our debt repayments. Um, so, you know, personally speaking, I think $1,000 is not going to be adequate for most people, especially if you're already kind of living a middle-class lifestyle. So if you can, get at least two, folks. Account for inflation. Dave Ramsey hasn't. I'm telling you to account for the inflation that he recommends uh, for the money he recommends uh, and his total money makeover. So, you know, Dave's right. Have at least $1,000, you know, really adjusted for inflation. Make it two. And uh, honestly, while you go through Dave Ramsey's total money makeover, I would encourage you, since you're going to have continued expenses along the way, that you would set aside not only a couple grand uh, while paying off your debt when you first start off, but I would encourage you to continue to actively save money while you work on baby step number two, where you 
aggressively pay down your debts. Don't use all of your money to pay down your monthly debt unless you really, really need to. Um, but if you can split like 75% of your extra funds towards paying down debt while still continuing to build your savings or, you know, maybe 50, 50. Uh, I know when I was working on paying down some debts, um, I did 50, 50 when it came to, um, you know, saving and paying down debts at the same time. Um, so if I had $500, I would say 250 to paying down debt and 250 to, uh, to, um, building my savings. Point number four, auto loans, folks, they're okay. Well, sort of. Let me just say, I'm not a big fan of consumer debt. I think it should generally be avoided. And I say that as somebody who works as a big bad banker <laughs> at a, a bank. Um, so unless you have a really exceptional reason to use it, uh, you should avoid using it. This is especially true with credit cards, especially since they have interest rates these days, usually in like the 25-30% range. However, unlike Dave Ramsey, I think auto loans aren't such a bad deal. And while they should generally be avoided, they sometimes make some sense. And they make sense for the same reason a mortgage makes sense. It's ultimately a secure line of credit based off a tangible asset. But let me say that. First, unless I, th I think unless you are very affluent with lots of cash to burn, you should never, ever, 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 under any circumstance, buy a brand new car. And in this, I completely agree with Dave Ramsey. New cars just depreciate in value too quickly. They cost too much. Uh, they require too big of a loan in order to finance if you're going to have to finance it. And when you consider that the average new car loses 20 to 30% of its value the moment you drive it off uh, the lot, if you're doing something like buying a brand new Honda Accord for about thirty-five grand, which is about what they go for these days, uh, you might as well, when you account for depreciation, have set $10,500 on fire the moment you drive it off the lot. Uh, because the moment you drive it off the lot, that's essentially what you've done because of depreciation. The value is going to take a ten grand hit the moment the title is changed over, the dealer hands you the keys, and you drive off the lot. So unless you can afford to set $10,500 on fire um, and you wouldn't miss it if you did, then you should never, ever, ever buy a new car. Always buy a used car. But when you go to buy a reasonably used two to five year old car, should you use an auto loan to finance it? Well, that answer is a little more complicated. I would say if you have the cash, you should buy a car in cash. Um, but you should only do such if you can do that without touching your emergency savings. For depleting your emergency savings, you are taking a significant risk should an actual emergency arise. And the odds that a $300 a month auto payment is going to ruin you financially, especially if you have emergency savings on hand, that's pretty low. So the risk there is pretty low. And while paying interest on a depreciating asset is generally not a good idea, with interest rates for auto loans presently hovering around 3 to 4%, the amount of money you're going to pay in interest payments over the next 3 to 5 years of your auto loan is a pretty low amount. So, you know, if you do the math, and I would encourage you to use the calculator I linked to in the jimmystable.com show notes for this episode, 
while you might spend $1,000 on your interest payment over a five-year period, you know, that amounts to less than $20 a month, folks. Such is a pretty small amount of money to pay for a reliable form of transportation. One that you are likely using to get to work every single day. And that $20 you're paying on a monthly basis in interest is significantly less than you'll spend on maintaining an old beater on its last leg. (laughs) So, if the monthly cash flow is within your budget and you can reasonably afford it, an auto loan on a nice used car, if you absolutely have to take one, uh, it's okay to do, folks. And my recommendation would be to put, though, if you're going to do it, at least 20% down on the payment of your car. So that way you don't ever have to worry about being upside down on your car. So make sure you get an auto loan, though, if you do one. That is no more than three to five years in length. They are offering six and seven these days, folks. I really don't recommend that. If you're needing a six or seven year auto loan, you might really need to consider what kind of car you're buying. <laughs> um, so, But I would recommend three to five year auto loan. And keep the loan under $15,000, which should keep your monthly payment under $300, and your total interest over three to five years uh, at less than $1,000. And, you know, if you can, if you can afford to do so, I would encourage you to do so. It's what I've done with the last couple cars that I've bought with an auto loan. Pay off your auto loan early. And the earlier, the better. Take the three to five year loan just so you can have a little cushion on your monthly payment so you can get a lower monthly payment. But I would encourage you to pay it off as soon as possible, simply so you can free up your cash flow and you don't have that debt hanging over your head for three to five years. Because that's a long time to have to pay something off, folks. Pay it off earlier. Get gazelle intense, as Dave says. You know. So when you buy a car, buy a used car that has a good track record, like a Honda Accord or a Honda Civic, and then drive it for as many years as you can. And while an auto loan may not be the best financial decision you'll ever make, Not having reliable transportation to get you to and from work is ultimately a worse scenario to be in. And depleting your emergency savings to buy a junky, quote-unquote, Dave car (laughs) isn't a smart decision either. either. So a used Honda Civic or a used Honda Accord, should you get one, they're going to last you 250 to 300,000 miles, folks, without having too many problems. It'll give you anywhere from 10 to 20 plus years of reliable transportation for most folks so you know I, i'm at 167,000 miles i think it is on my honda accord uh it's a 2008 honda accord been driving it for quite a while i bought it in 2011 um you know and it's got 160 some thousand miles on it and as my mechanic said after a recent small repair that i had to make um he's like well you know you're just breaking it in and, uh, you know, I figure I probably have at least another 100, 150,000 miles before I'm even going to consider getting a new car. I've been in the car since 2011. It's 2020 right now. That's nine years. I bought it when I had 35,000 miles on it. So, uh, you know, I'm going to get a lot more wear and tear on it. Of course, I may just make enough money one day that I might say, well, the heck with it and, you know, just buy something new for the sake of buying something newer. But I won't buy a brand new car. I'll still buy a, a reasonably used uh couple-year-old car. Um, probably another Honda Accord has been a pretty good car. Uh, but you know, maybe I'll want something a little more vain in a couple of years. <laughs> Who knows? 
Um, but anyway, that's all I have to say about that particular topic. And my final point. Folks, I know Dave Ramsey says you should never have a credit card, but I'm going to tell you it's okay to have a credit card and you should probably have one in your wallet. Let me just put this out there. Credit cards got me into a lot of trouble once. Uh, when I was in mid, my, my mid-20s, I actually had to file bankruptcy because of it. So, without having to say much, you know, I've developed a certain allergy to credit cards. They can be extremely dangerous. And I agree with about 95% of what Dave Ramsey has to say on not having a credit card and his reasons for discouraging, uh, discouraging you to have one altogether. Generally speaking, it's not bad advice. However, with that said, I believe there are times when it's actually wise to have a credit card so long as you never carry a balance and pay it off every single month. Despite what Dave Ramsey says, your debit card that you get from your bank that's connected to your checking account does not offer the same financial protections that your credit card does. If some identity thieves hack your debit card or your checking account, that money that they stole from your debit card or checking account, it's gone, folks. And it's gone until the bank gets around to investigating the issue and replacing it. And let's assume they believe the story that you say, hey, I, somebody used my account that I did not authorize. So assuming the bank believes you, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to be on the hook for that money until the bank replaces it. And as somebody who has had this happen to them, you know, actually last year, uh, somebody in New York decided to fill up their Chevy Suburban and buy some lottery tickets uh, in New York uh, off my debit account um, with, a, I don't know how they did it, but some identity thieves somehow got my debit card number and, uh, you know, went to a gas station, filled up their tank and bought some lottery cards, uh, lottery tickets on I hope, hope they won so they don't steal from anybody else. Um, but, you know, it was a couple days before the banks replaced my missing funds. Uh, and the money that disappeared did not get replaced overnight. Um, in which time, I did not have all the money that I thought I had, actually, in my checking account. Um, and my bank immediately issued a freeze on all my cards and checks and all that fun stuff. And they issued me all new stuff. Um, in which time I was actually without my debit card. Now, if I really needed to, they said I could go to uh, the local branch and get a temporary card issued on my behalf. Um, but in the t meantime, all my, you know, auto pay accounts that I have out there, um, my Amazon account, <laughs> my Amazon Prime account, which I hold sacred, um, you know, all that stuff I had to go through the trouble of uh, ultimately fixing and holding off on. Um, and, you know, wasn't able to buy everything I needed to buy at that time because of the amount that was stolen from me. Um, so, you know, if I had a credit card, though, and was using a credit card, and actually at that time I have since switched to using a credit card for about 90% of my purchases and trans financial transactions, um, I wouldn't have had to worry about all that. All my money would have been sitting in my bank account. 
Um, so it is prudent, folks, contrary to what Dave Ramsey says, to carry a credit card for on you and to use it. And it's especially important if you're paying for gas. You know, people put all those little chip readers and stuff on on uh, the gas stations these days. Um, and it's especially important if you do any online shopping. That way, if anything nefarious happens, nobody's going to be able to access your checking account. And if they do hack your checking account, somehow, if they find out your numbers for your checking account, you still have a backup means of paying for things with your credit card. And additionally, if you're smart and you're not dumb, don't be dumb because Dave Ramsey doesn't want you to be dumb and I don't want you to be dumb. Additionally, if you're smart, you'll use a credit card to pay for all your normal monthly expenses like gas, groceries, and utility bills. Um, Just make sure you never, ever, ever under any circumstances carry a balance because you'll be charged your 25% interest. (laughs) Um, And this is especially great if you have a credit card that offers cash back. If you don't, I highly encourage you to get one. Um, Because personally speaking, the amount of cash back you'll get by charging all your gas groceries and utility bills will be pretty significant. Personally, I do this, and I do this with all my expenses. And as a result, I get about $50 to $60 a month cash back. That's about, you know, up to 700 some bucks a year. Free money, folks. And I'm not sure about you, but 700 some dollars a year is real money. (laughs) You know? And that will easily cover a month or two of utility bills or groceries. Um, or if you have some debt, it'll actually help you pay some of your debt. So if you're leaving free money on the table like this and you don't have a credit card that pays you cash back rewards, I believe you're ultimately missing out on a significant financial opportunity. Uh, so unless you have some uncontrollable spending habit associated with a credit card and you're like a drunken sailor, um, and you have no control and plastic just makes you insanely crazy. Um, paying for things strictly in cash or strictly with your debit card, well, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. So, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com. Email me at jimmy at jimmystable.com. This has been episode 48, in which I have offered you a critique of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Uh, And I would consider this my Dave Ramsey detox class at the end of the day. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Jimmy at jimmystable.com. You can reach out to me on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, And if you're Dave Ramsey listening to this or his lawyers or whatever, you know, feel free to say hi. (laughs) You know, and consider some of the things I've said. um, Because I think the points I've made, not only theologically, are important, uh, but they're important uh, with the perspectives I've offered with things related to the financial critiques that I've made of Dave Ramsey's program. So tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, And if you're a Kool-Aid drinker, don't even bother to send an email or write to me on Facebook. If you're just, you know, joining the cult of personality and you can't stand to hear your favorite person, uh, you know, critiqued person you've probably even never met, (laughs) but you have some sort of crush on anyway, you know, let me be your crush, people. (laughs) Uh, let me be the per- drink my Kool-Aid. No, no. I'm a free thinker, folks. Uh, and I would encourage you to be a free thinker. Think critically. Think constructively about things. Think about how you can make things that are good. Things like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and Total Money Makeover. Think of how you can make them better. Uh, and don't just stick to the status quo. Dave Ramsey's program is good. It's helped a lot of people. But like I said, I would only give it a B plus. 
It's got some flaws, and it needs to be tweaked. So take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. Air smudge.